Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. We are now past the climatological peak of hurricane season in the Atlantic Basin. Will it remain as quiet as it did in August, or will the next few months ramp up activity? We look at you know what 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 occurs on average you know in any given year. Right around this time, you know September basically, that's when the conditions in the tropics are you know kind of come together. Meteorologist Erica Delgado has the latest and a look ahead. Plus, the University of Miami is working to improve hurricane forecasting. We wanted to kind of push the envelope with those flights. Really, that was trailblazing. So we've never taken our hurricane hunters that far east in the Atlantic. Meteorologist Jackson Dill with this exclusive report. That's coming up next on this edition of Weather or Not. When the tropics heat up, you can stay cool. Because the chief works right here. Seven's chief meteorologist, Phil Farrow. He's been doing this for nearly 30 years. As soon as we get information, we bring it to you instantly. Wilma, Katrina, Irma, he guided us safely through them all. That guy never sleeps, but that's so you can sleep easier. NOAA forecast an above average season back in May, and so far activity has been more on the quiet end, especially in August but September saw an increase in systems. Does this mean we might still see an above average year? Here's Erica Delgado. Anyone who has lived in South Florida long enough knows that activity during hurricane season comes in stages. And usually the beginning of the season tends to be rather quiet for South Florida. But with the dog days of summer, where air temperatures almost tend to lean towards the unbearable side, comes the uptick in activity as we reach the mid-season. This is why NOAA issues an update to their original seasonal outlook just as we approach the peak of hurricane season. Well, this year, that day was August 4th, and even though some changes were made to the original forecast, experts are urging not to let your guard down just yet. So I contacted our friends at the National Weather Service here in Miami in order to get to the bottom of what it all means. Here's what they had to say. And joining me today from the National Weather Service here in Miami is Warning Coordination Meteorologist Robert Moyeda to help see the mid-season outlook as far as Atlantic hurricane season is concerned. Robert, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Erica. Glad to be here. So we're, we're entering the peak hurricane season, the one, the infamous peak hurricane season. And before we even jump into the, the newest outlook that was um, issued mid-season, let's talk about what La Nina and El Nino is. I know we've done this before, but just to review and how it affects hurricane season as a whole. La Nina and El Nino, they represent uh, cyclical weather and ocean patterns that we observe, you know, that we've been observing for, you know, several decades. For example, La Nina is characterized or we define it when the water temperatures in the equatorial Pacific Ocean are colder than normal. El Nino then is the opposite of that. El Nino is when the ocean temperatures in the, in the equatorial Pacific Ocean are warmer than normal. Okay, so how does that relate to hurricane season in the Atlantic? You know, we're talking about 
water temperatures in another ocean that's not really near us here in Florida. Well, those differences in ocean temperatures in the Pacific Ocean are actually reflected in at least cyclical or temporary changes in weather patterns, not just in the Pacific Ocean, but really worldwide. So we've been able to make that connection between these La Nina and El Nino episodes and these temporary changes in weather patterns. So for example, whenever we have the La Nina pattern in place, which is what we have right now, we've actually been, we've been in this La Nina pattern for about two years now, that usually corresponds to an increase in hurricane or just general tropical storm and hurricane activity in the Atlantic Ocean. Now, when we're in the El Nino pattern, the opposite, then that typically correlates to decreased tropical storm and hurricane activity in the Atlantic Ocean. So again, we've been able to observe previous cycles and make that connection based on how those El Nino and La Nina cycles influence weather patterns, which then can influence hurricane and tropical storm formation in the Atlantic Ocean. So that's actually very simple to understand because I've heard some very difficult explanations that are probably a little more not easy to understand. So now that we've gone that out of the way, NOAA released their mid-season update to the Atlantic hurricane season. I believe it was in August. Can you tell us if there were any changes to their original outlook? Yeah, the the outlook, the the update came out on August 4th. And it, it just very slightly decreased the number of overall storms that we were forecasting. So the original forecast in May went with 14 to 21 named storms. The, the August update went to 14 to 20. So just a very small decrease. And as far as the percentages or the probabilities of a near, above, or below normal season are concerned, we are currently in the August update, we went with a 60% chance of an above normal season and 30% chance of near normal, and then the remaining 10% is for below normal. The above normal in the initial May forecast was 65% chance. So we dropped that down from 65 to 60. So in other words, we're still leaning, obviously we're still calling for an above normal season. Although if you look deeper into the numbers, you'll see that we decreased those numbers just a little bit. So as you just mentioned, we, the the August outlook, the mid-season outlook, did call for a slight decrease in activity, but as you just mentioned, still calling for an above-average season. Now, it seems so far, knock on wood, this year's season has been ra- relatively quiet. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, there's there's usually several reasons, or it's hard to pin down, you know, one or sometimes even two reasons that maybe are like just are overarching. I would say probably one of the well, one of the reasons, you know, may not be the main reason, but I think it's one that we can at least kind of measure or observe is that the 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 air has been a bit drier than normal in the tropical Atlantic Ocean. So in other words, we're talking about the area primarily between let's say the Caribbean Sea and the west coast of Africa, which is the area, you know, that wide, you know, that large tropical Atlantic area. That's where most of our mid-season and peak hurricane season systems form. 
they form out there, you know, between the coast of Africa and the Lesser Antilles. So we're obviously looking at conditions in that area pretty closely, you know, atmospheric conditions and also ocean conditions. So one thing that we have noted is a uh, it's been a bit drier than normal. We're there's less moisture in the air in that area, which you know, as we know, tropical storms and hurricanes they they form as a result of high moisture. So you, right. you know, there needs to be an adequate amount of moisture in the atmosphere for these systems to form. If you don't have enough moisture, then you're gonna have a harder time. Well, you know, these storms are gonna have a harder time to get going if they form at all. So, th so that's that's one that's one of the, one of the reasons that I think is again easier for us to to identify. I mean, there there are probably other reasons out there, but I would say that's probably. If I had to guess, I would say it's near or at the top based on some of the observations that we've noted over the past month or so. Now, I'm glad that you mentioned that that dry air because we here, um, meteorologists here at the station, we've noticed the dry air over the tropical Atlantic through the last couple of months. We've also noticed a lot of Saharan dust coming off of the west coast of Africa this year. And it actually seems that it's been increasing the last few years as well. Do you see an increase in the Saharan dust or this could probably be affecting the tropics, I assume? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know whether there's been an increase. I don't have a, a way of, I haven't seen any numbers on that or any way of, you know, you know indicating, you know, how many Saharan dust episodes we've had in past years compared to this year. You know, we certainly have, have had our share, you know, you know, over the Atlantic. And of course, you know, every year, some of those, you know, make their way westward all the way across the Atlantic Ocean and, you know, and make it into North America, including, of course, uh, Florida. So, but again, I can't really correlate that to um, to frequency or, or or amount compared to past years, but we've certainly seen that. And in fact, you know, it's uh, we know that the presence of, of Saharan dust out there in the Atlantic is an indication of you know there's drier air in that area as well. Exactly how that interacts with hurricanes, or at least with with developing tropical systems, it, it, it's actually something that's kind of being studied and looked at more closely because it's not as simple as it might seem. In other words, it's not automatic that, well, if there's Saharan dust out there, you know, a, a, a tropical storm or hurricane that's interacting with it is going to get disrupted. Well, it, it can, but we've seen cases where it actually hasn't. So, there, you know, it, it just it's just an example or an indication that there's a lot of there's a lot going on in the atmosphere that influences these tropical systems. And, you know, it's something that, you know, we're, we have a, you know, we're getting a better understanding of, but we're still learning a lot more about it. Oh, well, there goes my idea of building a very huge fan over Africa and just blowing the dust our way during hurricane season to keep the activity at a minimum. <laughs> well, I mean, never mind the practicality or lack of practicality of, of that. But, you know, I know, we, you know, we hear some of those theories out there, you know, which, you know, yeah, in theory, they may, they might work. It's just getting it into practice. You know, that's the, that's the trick. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I actually have read a few articles online where they kind of were arguing on both sides that they're still kind of digging deeper into that because while it could suppress activity, some are saying, right. well, it could actually like affect it in other ways in the opposite direction. So I hear right. that. We're entering the peak of hurricane season. We're actually still in it. I know the peak of hurricane season here in Florida is South Florida is September 10th. Is there anything that you see out there that would maybe signal you to believe that that this sudden awakening, as I call it, since we've been following a few systems in the Atlantic, if that's expected to continue? 
Well, I mean, if, if we just look at climatology, in other words, we look at, you know, what, what, what occurs on average, you know, in any given year, right around this time, you know, September, basically, that's when the conditions in the tropics are, you know, kind of come together. All the ingredients that are, that are required for tropical systems to form are, for the most part, going on at the same time. So, you know, that's higher moisture in the atmosphere or more moisture in the atmosphere over the tropical Atlantic, the warmest water temperatures of the year, which are, you know, typically during the September timeframe in the Atlantic, as well as lighter winds in, in the upper levels of the atmosphere. So these, those three main ingredients kind of come together during the same general time frame, again, the peak of the season in September. So when these tropical waves, for example, come off the coast of Africa or some other low pressure system is trying to form in, in the Atlantic, it, it can take advantage of those, some of those or not all those ingredients being in place. And they're, they're more likely to be in place in September. So what we're seeing now, this, this little, this uptick, if you will, in activity in the tropics is pretty much an indication of that. You know, we're getting into that time of year, you know, when when the uh, when all those ingredients come together. So, you know, it's September and it's also October too. You know, it's, right. in October it narrows down a little bit more maybe into like the Caribbean Sea or the Gulf of Mexico, not so much the far eastern Atlantic. But for us here in Florida, that's important because October is actually the month in which we've been hit the most by hurricanes here in, in South Florida. Oh, that makes sense. So I guess the activity that we've been seeing recently is basically on time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a little bit, maybe a little bit delayed in the sense that, you know, we went the entire month of August without a tropical storm. But sooner or later, you know, if he, you know, once you get into September, at some point, unless there's just something going on that's kind of overriding all that, and we really don't see that yet this season, at some point, we're going to start to see an increase in activity. The question is, how much are we going to see between now and the end of the season? Of course. Now, I know just moments ago, you mentioned warmer sea surface temperatures. In the last few years, and I want to say at least in the last 10 years, because it's when I've noticed an increase in tropical and even subtropical systems a little farther north across northern latitudes in the Atlantic, uh, much more north than we're used to seeing that develop just coming off of Africa. Why do you think we've seen such an increase over areas where ocean temperatures tend to be cooler? Again, I don't have any specific numbers to say, yeah, you know, it's been, you know, we've had an increase of X in those type of systems that are farther north. Well, I mean, in general, the Atlantic Ocean, you know, has the you know, sea surface temperatures on average have warmed a little bit, you know, and, and you know, and, and it's not just in the tropics. It also extends up into, you know, roughly about 40 degrees north latitude, which is, uh maybe considered the subtropics, especially, you know, during the summer months. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it, 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 you know, it is, you know, pretty far to the north, but there, there is actually, they, it's, it's, it's really related to the Gulf Stream. The Gulf Stream actually, you know, what the Gulf Stream is that current, that warm current mm-hmm. that's right off our coast here in South Florida. That current flows northward off, it goes up to about the coast of North Carolina. And then it takes a sharp turn eastward and heads way out over the Atlantic. And it actually crosses over that part of the Atlantic Ocean between like roughly 35 degrees north and 40 degrees north, where, you know, during certain times, you know, during the peak of hurricane season, it actually is warm enough to support, uh, you know, tropical storms and even hurricanes. 
Yeah. Um, so it's but it's a more narrow tongue, if you will, or warm water. Once you get much farther north than that, then the water temperatures typically start dropping off quite a bit. Which makes sense when we see these uh, more northern systems develop, and as it drifts northward, then we just kind of that moisture, that warm air is kind of cut off, and that's where we kind of see them, you know, fizzle out. So it makes sense. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if you'll know this from the top of your head, but I'm just looking, thinking back at other seasons. Has there ever been a time where the season started off this quiet, but then quickly turned around in the opposite direction as far as activity is concerned? Yeah, I mean, I just looked, I just looked kind of at previous seasons, the kind of like, like where, you know, you know, like how many storms we had through August and then how many we ended up having overall. For example, 2019, just three years ago, we had five storms through the end of August, and then we ended up with 18 that year. So, you know, just in September and October, we had a pretty sharp increase. Something similar happened in 2010. 2010, we had six storms through the month of August, and then we had a total of 19. So again, we had about 13 storms that formed from September 1st onward. So yeah, so, you know, we've seen, I mean, it, it doesn't occur every year. In fact, you know, most years, you know, where, you know, or at least a lot of years, we, we tend to have more than just three storms by the end of August. So certainly it's been, been a slow, the season 2022 has been slow to get going. But as I just mentioned, you know, we've had some fairly recent examples of years in which we started out rather slowly. And then, you know, it's increased, you know, quite a bit once you get into September and October. Okay. And that's good to remember so that everyone at home remembers not to let their guard down just because we've started off quiet so far this season, but we are entering peak season. And as we're very familiar with, that can quickly ramp up in just a matter of days. So good to know. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time as always. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Erica. And uh, yeah, let's hope for a, let, let's hope for a continued uh, quiet hurricane season. From your mouth to the weather god's ears. (laughs) The Seven Weather Team would like to thank the National Weather Service here in Miami and especially Robert Moyeda for always taking the time from their busy schedules to share their weather knowledge with us. As always, we appreciate all that you do for the South Florida community. That's all for now. From the Seven Weather Team, I'm meteorologist Erica Delgado. Thank you, Erica. Weather or Not returns after this. Severe weather can strike any time. And when it does, Seven's got you covered. 24-7. We'll see storms developing. We have a long line of rainfall here. We are the storm station. Seven News. All tropical forecasters would love new and improved procedures and technology to better our forecasts. The University of Miami is at the forefront of this endeavor. Meteorologist Jackson Dill with the latest. Whenever a storm brews during hurricane season, forecasters can rely on the hurricane hunters to collect important data about tropical storms, hurricanes, and even tropical waves. Well, there's one team that's working on testing new tools to improve hurricane forecasts. I spoke to Jason Dunyan, who leads the Hurricane Field Program, which is a collaboration with NOAA and the University of Miami. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. Now, you act as the director of the Hurricane Field Program. Can you describe what that entails and what this field program aims to achieve? Sure. So each year, NOAA conducts a field program that runs all summer. So it's kind of this year after year effort that we do. And we really focus on everything from what makes 
storms tick as far as track goes to why they intensify or weaken. And it's, it's all, everything that's included is, you know, studying moisture, studying, studying the Saharan air layer, which is a dust storm that comes off of Africa to looking at rapid intensification. So it really runs the gamut of everything we want to know about what does make these storms tick. What's the importance of better examining hurricanes through aircraft reconnaissance and these different tools? Yeah, it's a good question. We have some new techniques that we're using. So we're looking at models and ensembles of models. So every model has its little members that make its individual forecasts. So we track, you know, how much disagreement, how much agreement is there between all of these different possibilities, that spaghetti that we usually see when we're talking about the forecast models. And we're trying to come up with better ways of saying, well, there's uncertainty in this area. If we can put some of our observations like drops on little parachuted weather stations right into these areas where the models really just don't have a good sense of what's going on. We can use that technique to try to improve the forecast, whether it's the next day or even the five-day forecast going out. And we've really packed the plans with a lot of interesting instrumentation this year. We're going to take some small drones into our, with our planes. We have these P3 hurricane hunters. So we're going to launch these drones out of a tube in the belly of the the P3 Hurricane Hunter. They have little spring-loaded wings. They're about a seven to nine foot wingspan. And they fly for about two, even three hours collecting data in the storm. And, you know, they'll take us to places we don't usually want to fly, like way down near the ocean surface where I'd rather be much, much higher up, but the drone can give us a lot of good information. And even inside the eye of the storm, you know, it could be recording the pressure changes that might be happening. So that effort, I think, is going to be pretty exciting. We've also put, we're putting on a, a LIDAR. It's basically a laser that's able to detect what does the atmosphere look below the aircraft so we can measure the temperature, the humidity. We can even measure Saharan dust so we can see how a Saharan dust storm might be wrapping in to some of the storms that we're seeing. So to me, that's a really exciting instrument as well. I think another one that comes to mind, we have this instrument that measures waves below the aircraft. So right in the storm environment. So that's really important. You know, what, what, what do the waves look like? Because eventually that storm and those waves will affect the coastline, whether it's Florida or the Gulf Coast. So we can actually make those measurements hundreds or even thousands of miles before the storm even makes impact. And those drones are such a cool tool to use, especially with some hurricanes, which could be very dangerous to fly into. Oh, that's a great point. Exactly. Like we're willing to go into the right into the eye, you know, with our hurricane hunters. But like you said, there are certain parts of the storm where it's much better to send a drone, um, especially down near that, that lowest part of the atmosphere just above the ocean. What's the importance of better examining hurricanes through aircraft reconnaissance and these different tools? You know, one thing we've found over recent years is when we add these observations that we've been talking about from the aircraft, whether it's from the lasers or the drop signs, especially, that data gets into the forecast model. So we actually send it off the plane while we're flying. We don't want to wait until we land. We want to make sure it gets adjusted into the models. And of course, the hurricane center, the forecasters, they're able to see that data as well. So what we found is as because of that data and the fact that it's getting in in real time, as we fly, we see 10, 15, even 20% improvements in some of the forecasts, it includes track and intensity. So it really goes back to that, that big effort. Why we fly these hurricane field programs each year is we want to improve the forecast. And we're already seeing that effect, which, you know, the big goal is to 
protect lives and property. So if we see improvements like that, folks along the coast are that much more prepared for a storm because the forecast is that much better. Earlier in August, you were involved in the Farthest East mission to examine a tropical wave near Africa. What was that like and why were those missions planned? Yeah, you know, we wanted to kind of push the envelope with those flights. Really, that was trailblazing. So we've never taken our hurricane hunters that far east in the Atlantic, which means we don't usually get to sample that far eastern part of the Atlantic. And it's an important place to look because it's right near the hurricane nursery. So over Africa, just south of the Sahara Desert, which is, of course, the biggest desert in the world, that's where the nursery is. I mean, if you look at the numbers, over half of the storms that get a name in the Atlantic each year come from that nursery. And it's about 80 to 85% of the major hurricanes. So those are your category one, two, three. Those we really want to predict well because they can cause the most damage and, and loss of life. So by taking our aircraft out that far east, we can get a handle on these tropical waves, we call them, little disturbances in the atmosphere, that really they're the seedlings for the hurricanes that we see later on. So that trailblazing that we were trying to do by taking our Gulfstream 4 jet out to Cabo Verde really tries to push the envelope on improving these forecasts and improving our understanding of how that nursery produces the storms that we see. And lastly, do you have any more research flights planned this season? Well, as you know, it's been a a fairly slow start to the season so far. So we're already into mid-August, but this is about that time we expect to see the ramp up. So we do have um, quite a few flight hours to fly our P3s. Uh, those are P3 Orions go right into the eye of the storm. So we have two of those aircraft and we have a G4 high altitude jet. So that's flying more like 41 to 45,000 feet. So even higher than most commercial air traffic. So we've got hours to really continue to push the envelope, perhaps one more trip out to the Eastern Atlantic. And we really want to look at rapid intensification of storms. Those are very hard to predict. And of course, they can leave you not with not a lot of time to react. You might go to bed at night. It could be a category one storm. By the time you wake up, it could be, say, a weak category three storm. So rapid intensification is really 35 miles per hour increase in intensification in just one day. So hard to predict, but we're starting to get a better, better handle on, you know, what are the ingredients that have to come together? Not only in the environment surrounding the storm, but in the inner core of the storm itself that might set us up for a situation where a storm could really take off. So we really want to focus on that as well as we kind of get into this peak of the hurricane season. All right, Jason Dunyan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jackson. The best app from the best weather team is right here. Seven's Hurricane Tracker app. Get the latest forecast models. My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's cone on your phone. It's yours free from the Storm Station 7 News. Our next edition of Whether or Not drops September 20th. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion, please send us an email at wxpodcast at wsvn.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Chief Meteorologist Phil Farrell. This podcast is produced by the 7 Weather Team. Original music by Chris Crane. With technical support by Stephen Sayhouse. Thank you for listening to Whether or Not.